Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with my friend Chris Nicholson. Um, we're going to talk about Breaking Bad uh, season one and season two. Um, we've done a lot of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul stuff, but you know, we we had to watch. I mean, I hadn't watched Breaking Bad for a very long time um, since you know since I don't know like 2012. I think I started watching the show in its later season, so I got caught up. So maybe around 2011, 2012, something like that. Uh, I saw season one and season two, so it's been like a decade. Um, and it was originally season one was in 2008. Um, and there's going to be spoilers here, not only for season one and season two, but we're not going to restrict ourselves. You know, if something comes up. Um, later seasons, we will, uh, you know, we, we won't try to gratuitously do it, but it, you know, it might come up, um, better call Saul things might come up too. If you haven't seen that. So just watch everything, just watch everything. And then listen to all of our, all of our analysis is all I could ask. Okay. Uh, so Chris, how you doing? Uh, good. You know, on the spoilers, I, I think their, their time has expired. You know, the, the, the time to be expect to be spoiler free has long passed. Yeah, even rewatching, like I was like, "Oh, is this conversation gonna have spoilers?" Because I don't remember everything. There are like entire storylines that I don't remember. I remember the big, like you know, the ten biggest things that happened. Uh, but like a lot of the sort of the the causal chain of how we got to, you know, point A to point B, like a lot of them, I don't re- like. I don't remember. Um, and so, like these are you know pretty much very surprising to me in certain cases. Uh, but okay. Um, what is your, uh, so what's your, what's your, what's your impression, um, going back? Like, what did you notice? What did you think that was like, what, like looking at this with fresh eyes, uh, what did you see that sort of was different from what you expected or what you remember? So I had a close eye on Skylar basically on this rewatch because that, that's one of the big storylines, at least among the fans that emerged you know, I, I figured that that was a, a thing to keep an eye on going back through it. Basically, the fans were somewhat united in the belief that Skylar was a a shrew. Let's say, no. you know, you know the the, the henpecking, nagging wife, and so that that was one thing I kept my eye on, especially through the early seasons. And so far, so far, I'm finding Skylar mostly reasonable. What yeah. I'm agreeing with. with most of her calls here, like her husband's a drug dealer and he's hiding a lot from her. Isn't she too? What did you think about Skylar? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, and I saw the interview with Vincent Gilligan. I think you saw it too, where he was said he was like sort of bothered or he was, that wasn't his intention or whatever for the fans to have that reaction. But you know, like I think people are like, why not just let him deal drugs? Like, isn't it like people think it's cool. Like she's very like, and she's very law and ordery. Uh, so she has that scene with that Benicky guy, um, and she well she doesn't turn him in, but she doesn't go along with the uh, with the fraud either. Um, and and then uh, you know this later season spoiler we're we're getting to later seasons already. Like she she can't forgive the um, you know the drug thing. She's never like oh it's okay for our family um, or anything like that. Uh, you know she's just very like you know I think Walt understands that if she. If he's, uh, you know, if he's a drug, like he can't, like, why can't he just tell her? Like, why can't he just, like right now, season two, she leaves and I forget what happens. Like he tells her, I'll tell you everything. Come back. I don't remember what exactly he tells her at the start of season. Th- Do you remember? I, I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the beauty of it. Like I'm, I'm rediscovering it. I didn't remember she'd left. Yeah. Like I, I have no idea 
how season three is going to open. Yeah, Are I they going to be apart for a season? I don't know. I'm pretty sure he doesn't just come out and tell her at start of season three. Like he's not just going to tell her the truth. He something is going to happen, or he's going to do something. Yes. Um, so, so it's been it's been basically ten years for me since I watched it like you. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, yeah, you know, just rediscovering things, not quite knowing what's going to happen. But we, we did just end on the big scene where you know he was, uh, he was on that on that pain killing drug, and he was fading out for the surgery, and so he admitted to her the implication that he did have a second phone. And so then she investigated all of his lies and they all fell apart. And the season two ends with her basically ditching him and saying that, that she knows about all the lies. You didn't remember that he, that she left. I remember she left. I didn't remember the details, like when it happened or how long or what the exact scenario was, but I do know that she left him and they were apart for a while. You, you, you forgot even that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You thought he was just it, in the house. It all blends together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah he does yeah she says so she does leave and yeah and, and it's only five seasons i thought it was six for a while but it's yeah it's only five uh so we're, we're pretty far along um so you know going back there's like so many things that are just right there's this yeah i think yeah so like that's the point like it's like why can't she just say it's cool that he's dealing drugs. I think that's the thing i think you're so but she doesn't even know no but 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 but, like, but we know we know that like Walt's not going to tell her because she's not going to like it because she's, you know, she's, you know, she's not cool like that. I think that's, I think like people do see that. I like, she's good from like a moral, you know, Christian perspective, I guess she's like uh Carmela, like, uh, you know, Carmela and uh, 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 Sopranos. If she'd taken that psychiatrist advice and like left Tony, right. As soon as she found out that he was like bad, you remember the scene, you remember, you know, remember we might've even talked about it at some point. Hmm. You know, what what you just said reminded me, you know, basically, they're trying to develop through some of the other side plots, this image of Skylar as, you know, morally upstanding, the kind of person who wouldn't be cool with her husband saying, I'm dealing meth, or, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. making meth. And, and I think that what you just said actually sheds a little light, maybe, on that long storyline between Skylar and Marie, and how Marie steals uh, a tiara. Yeah. And then it causes like a season's worth of drama between the two of them. You know, that's one of the things like I, I, I look at side plots like that, especially the stuff invo involving Skylar and Marie. And part of me is thinking like, why does this exist? Why is the show spending so much time yeah. on this stuff? You know, uh, and, yeah. you know, it, it's the it's the cool it's the less cool, less sexy part of the show. Uh, and so I, as I rewatch it, I'm trying to understand why the stuff I didn't like as much exists there. And I think that what you just said may sh shed a little light on it. You know, maybe this kind of secondary Skylar Marie, Marie stealing storyline is supposed to show us something about Skylar's character and how she wouldn't be cool with this kind of, with this kind of behavior from Walt that she, that she's a, uh, you know, a goody two shoes basically. Uh, and, and it shows us maybe a couple things that, that Skylar is, you know, a goody two shoes She's a square. And at the same time, she demands that the people in her life be totally honest with her. Yeah. And so those two things in Skylar really, you know, come into tension with each other. She can't have both of those, which is, you know, fundamental to the problems between her and Walt. Yeah. Do you think this, so this reminds me of sort of Hank. Do you think maybe like 
Hank should have married Skylar and Walt should have married Marie because like they're sort of they're better matches for each other because Hank and and, uh, Skylar are both morally upstanding and you know Marie and Walter are sort of I think Walter would have murdered Marie I mean I don't think like he he has to sort of respect you right I think you have to be upstanding for him to respect you right Um, I think he doesn't respect criminals and so forth he sees himself as part of them for Walt yeah Walt like he doesn't like he wouldn't respect he wouldn't he doesn't he wouldn't he doesn't respect Marie he respects Skyler more. Well, I, I don't know whether he particularly respects Marie, but what surprised me about what you said was that Walt needs people to be morally upstanding for him to respect them. I, I haven't been picking that up really from him. Yeah. Well, what makes you say that? No, they don't have to be morally upstanding. I, I guess they have to be. They have to be like him. It's the standard he judges for himself. He he doesn't like. He puts morality second, secondary, and it's just sort of being like secure in yourself, right? It's, it's, it's something like, Hmm. Like what is, what is like, like why does he have contempt for these people? Like crazy eight and like Tuco, right? It's like, they're less intelligent. They're less responsible. Um, but he respect, I think he respects Gus, like where we are right now. I think he respects Gus and you know, like he just respects sort of people who, you know, are sort of, you know, are not insecure, are not, you know, are not sort of, you know, like, it's just like, is it's, it feels too simple to just say people who are, have sufficient status, but that's what it seems like. And I think Skylar has more status than Marie, just like from the way she behaves. There's just like a higher class, like a bearing that she has. Look, I'm not even quite sure that Walt does respect Skylar. I'm not sure how much he respects her at all, uh, let alone relative to Marie. I mean, look at some of the lies that that Walt thinks that he can get past Skylar. Like, I can't, let me try and remember a particular one, but some of the stuff about the the second phone, like in general, there are just, there have been multiple times to this point through two seasons where Walt has just, he's just given her some terrible story that's obviously a story and he keeps running on with it. And there are times when he does that. I think some of them are his explanations of the second phone right after his fugue state where Marie, uh, where Skylar listens to Walt and then it's so lame and he so obviously thinks so little of her that she just walks out instead of responding to him. <laughs> yeah. And you know, yeah. And, and, and you know what, Walter, that he seems happiest, you know, when he seems happy, he doesn't seem to like women because he's, he is into this like very male thing. Like when he goes to the hardware store, he buys that new uh, water. What is it? What, what is it called? The water tank. And like, he seems happy, happiest in that case. Cause he's talking to the guy and the guy's like, why don't you buy this water tank? Oh, it's a little more expensive. And he's like, Oh, it's like, it's like, Oh, that's not a problem. And he's like, well, you like, yeah. you need installation. No, I'll do it myself. The guy's like, it's what I like to hear. And he's just like, he seems genuinely happy in moments like that. The other moment is when they're in the, when they're stuck out in the, uh, uh, you know, stuck out in the desert with Jesse. Um, and, uh, and like, he's explaining to him, like Jesse's not, you know, smart enough to get it, but he's explaining to him how batteries work and how they're going to build a new battery. And like, Jesse gets something really And like, he's so happy, but then like, he disappoints him, yeah. but it's okay. He's just happy. So he, he is a, he's a sort of a misanthrope. And this relates to the women thing because women like are more like people focused and he's like very, very thing focused. And if you're not like thing focused and like mission focused, like he doesn't like you or he doesn't enjoy spending time with you. Um, but he's just sort of happy, happiest in like this, you know, doing this kind of like, uh, you know, ha- handyman stuff or like this, you know, science or tech or something like that. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So, so the question, one of the questions we're considering is like, what does Walt respect 
And a sub question is, does, does Walt stand with women? Does, does he respect women? No, I think, it's, uh, yeah, I think and, he finds it difficult. Yeah. You know, I, I think that what Walt respects is, is, is competence yes. in general, not, not good or bad character, but competence. And at this point in the show, I mean, there, there's no female character that comes to mind that is especially competent that Walt respects. Yeah. Well, when, when Lydia comes around later, we'll have to watch that again. We'll have to see sort of, uh, how he treats her because there's a competent woman, he, woman he's going to deal with. Yeah. And I don't yeah, exactly. When I was thinking about this, I was like, who are the competent women in the, in the show? You know, in Better Call Saul, we get a clear one in Kim. Uh, here, I think Lydia is the first that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll, 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 we'll bracket that. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think Walt is a mis- misanthrope. Is that, is that a, is, do you, do you agree with that, 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 uh, characterization? You know, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, what I can say, we got the data points we have are, you know, what he thinks of Skyler. You know, he doesn't seem to think much of her intellect. He doesn't think much uh, of Jesse or Jesse's friends. He doesn't like Hank, even though Hank is like, you know, he he's very annoyed with. He sort of doesn't like Walt Junior. Um, I, I would say, yeah, go ahead. The relationship between Walt and Hank is actually pretty interesting on this rewatch. Uh-huh. Uh, Let's talk about that a bit, and it can fall into the question of, does Walt respect Hank? What does Walt feel toward Hank? Uh, there's also what Hank feels toward Walt and how he views Walt. Uh, it's been That's been one of the more interesting things of watching the, these first couple seasons. I mean, we just finished recently an episode in season two where Walt and Hank have this blow-up, uh, and it's Walt's fault. Walt has just got the good news that, that he's in remission, there's a pool party, and then Walt, Walt Jr. and and Hank are sitting at the table, and Walt keeps pouring more and more whiskey, I think, and forcing Walt Jr., uh, Walter Jr. To, to to drink it, and it causes this huge confrontation between Walt and Hank. And so I was really wondering, like, what, where that came from, and what the show was trying to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, what about do you that. think? About I thought about that scene. So I think that Walt, I think the change with Walt was when he confronted Tuco and threatened to blow up his building. I think that's like when Walt sort of became like a new man. And it was probably the, you know, the, the sort of the courage of this was born from, uh, uh, from like, I guess he, he knew he was going to die anyway. And so like, he probably didn't care at that point. So, cause otherwise the transformation is sort of hard to believe. Right. But he has that transformation. And I think that when he goes into two goes and then threatens to blow up and they give him his drugs back, he's like, wow, I can, I can do this. Right. I think, I think he's his ego and his sense of his own like masculinity just grows at that point. And he sees him, you know, he sees there's, a, there was this relationship before where like Hank was sort of like, you know, the, like the tough guy, the, uh, DEA agent and like Walt was just this like square. Um, but like Walt sort of sees it that, like, and this was, I think this was after Walt went down to, uh, the border. El Paso and like, you know, became traumatized by that. And so like Walt handling a stock is going up and Hanks is going down. Hank doesn't know that. (laughs) doesn't know this. He doesn't know um, that Walt. And and then before this happens, he's seeing Walt Jr. being very impressed with Hank. Hank is telling the story about the the turtle, the guy whose uh, head was sewn on the turtle. Uh, Walt no- Walt knows that Hank was like traumatized by that. Hank is acting like it was just funny and he didn't care, right? 
Um, right. And, and so he sees Hank as like this less, this, you know, relatively unmasculine guy who's like, you know, whose stock is falling, who's like, you know, there should be an adjustment of their relationship. And Walt Jr. is also, his reality is Hank's reality. He's just taking in what Hank is saying. Um, he's just taking in what Hank said. And to him, his dad is always the same lame square uh, that he always was. Right. And he's, I, I think he sort of just gets angry. There are, you know, and so he, he, so he, he, th- so he's, you know, he wants to challenge Hank. Um, but I, I also feel like, you know, and I, I just, I just mentioned this. I think he doesn't like Walt Jr. in certain ways. Like when, when Walt Jr. sets up the, um, the, uh, um, uh, the, the website to bring in donations. Um, just like sort of the look on his face of, and like the son, you know, it is like, well, this guy was like, thank him, this and that. And he just sort of, he seems not to like it. Like Walt Jr. wants to go like, cause this is what, this is what Walt hates. Like in the first season, he's anti, you know, he's like a, a rebel against like therapy culture. They're like, talk about your feelings. That one scene where he's like, you know, I just want to, I'm just thinking, I just want to die. I don't want to like, you know, I don't, I don't want to suffer. You know, I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, incur all these costs. And then they sort of like force him to just go on with treatment. Like Skylar just nags him uh, until he does it. Um, there's that. There's that. Um, do you remember how he actually ended up uh, deciding? It was just Skylar just nagged him into it, right? Uh, it, it was a particular moment, actually. Yeah. It, it was a significant moment. It was when they were both in bed, uh, and then Skylar got up and went somewhere, and then Walt looked over to see the books on her list, the books she was reading. Because at this point, the status quo was that Walt had made the decision that he wasn't going to get uh, chemo, basically. Yeah. But then he looks at her books, and he sees that one of her books says, like, how, how to cook for someone with cancer, or, you know, foods that fight cancer. And he, he's, he's, like, touched to see by how, how hard she's trying to help him. And it's after that seeing that book on her stand that he that he kind of gently tells her that he's changed his mind yeah okay interesting okay so like he just sort of he but that does sound like he's sort of nagged into like he's not he's guilted a little bit into it right I, I i wouldn't call that nagging actually because i think there's a significant distinction because she kind of tried the nagging and she took the nagging approach full force with that intervention but then the intervention backfired her on her, uh, Walt, uh, Marie and Hank kind of defected, uh, and, and then Walt kind of asserted control and put his foot down and said, it's up to me, and I, I choose yeah. not to get the treatment. Uh, so it was really the opposite of nagging that actually swayed him. It was it was her doing nothing to him, communicating nothing to him. It was her just focusing on what she could do. And how could she, how she could even like cook better to fight cancer? And I think maybe it was even something about the absurdity of that. Like, wow, Walt looks at her book and thinks, wow, she is trying, she is doing everything. She, she is trying to see how she can shop and cook better to help me with my cancer. And, and that, that changes his mind. But that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound right from Walt's perspective because like what you're sort of saying to me is like he's touched and she's gonna like be all in with him and like sacrificing for him and it seems to me like one thing he really doesn't want more than anything is for people to pity or try to take care of him right um so the idea like she's gonna take super good care of him seems to me like it would have the opposite effect maybe he was just touched you know like maybe he did he was he was gonna hurt her by dying and that just was like a sign that she like really really wanted him to live um i don't i don't know um well you you do you do raise a a good point that a lot of what's motivating him 
is this desire not to be pitied and especially the desire not to be taken care of. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think to get back to, uh, Walter Jr. and, and the website, I don't think that Walt has any antipathy toward his son. I think his problem there is the same consistent problem we've seen throughout. He wants to save himself. And not just he wants to save himself, he wants everybody to know that he's saved himself. And that's what he can't possibly get through making money through meth. But uh, And so th- that's his problem with Gretchen and Elliot. Uh, that's his problem every time Hank offers to help. He has this grimace every time Hank tells him, don't worry, buddy, I'm going to make sure that I take care of your family after you're gone. And it's the same old problem when Walter Jr. sets up that site uh, it's, it's nothing against Walter Jr. It's, it's this, just that consistent problem. Uh, and that's kind of the Greek tragedy element of all this. You know, in a Greek tragedy, the hero's downfall or the hero's demise has to be avertable and it has to be their character flaws that do doom them. And this is Walt's main character flaw that, that dooms him. He, he always has the opportunity to avoid the drugs, to avoid the illegality, because there's so many people who are willing to help him. And it's a it's completely sufficient help, and he just rejects it at every turn. But your your model of Walt is that he, he right? We agree that he doesn't want to be helped or pitied by others. He doesn't want charity. You know that one great scene where you know Skyler says, "Why do you say that?" Like it's some kind of dirty word. Um, but you're saying that he doesn't apply that standard to other people. That he doesn't sort of resent it, resent them when they do that, or like you know see them as weak when they themselves are showing too much, you know, uh, Christian, Christian morality, I guess. Right. Like as the question, I mean, he does lash out at them. Don't get me wrong about that. He, he lashes out at Gretchen and he makes it personal at one point to drive her away. Uh, he, he lashes out ultimately at at Hank. Uh, but I mean, I I don't really think that it makes him judge them harshly. It's, it's a purely defensive reaction. Uh-huh. Uh, and I want to get to this question you raised, like how, how is that quality in him consistent with, with my theory about how seeing that book that Skylar is reading changes his mind. Mm. Now it's an interesting question. Uh, I guarantee you, if you just rewatch that scene, that is the order of events. Mm. And the show makes it clear. The order of events is that he has firmly decided that he's not going to get the treatment. And what changes his mind is him seeing that book that Skyler is reading. Now, the, the open question is how that changes his mind. Uh, that 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 could, is up for debate. Uh, and my, my going theory right now is that in some way, he just seems very touched by Skyler's degree of concern. Maybe, maybe this is something about the person. Maybe it's something that affects it is that it's his wife. And, and he loves her. And, and this is this one thing that defies the general trend of his, his backlashes to pity. Maybe, maybe another thing that complicates it is that he doesn't view this as pity. Maybe this is just getting to show him the depth of her concern. And, and maybe that's what reaches him and touches him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's good. So I'm just looking for, so I, I thought he had resentment. So when I look at the, yeah, I, you see lashing out at that, he lashes out at them. And you distinguish that from like, you know, being resentful towards them or like not sort of not liking them or having negative feelings towards them. I think, I think, I think those two things sort of 
go together. Like there is a sense of like when he makes Walt Jr. just keep drinking. I mean, there is a sense of like punishing him. Like he is mad at him uh, for liking Hank uh, for maybe just for being stupid enough to be taken in by this, who he see this guy he sees as like a fake tough guy. Right. You know, it, it is interesting. And I, I think your diagnosis is right that what's going on between Walt and Hank at that moment, mostly on Walt's end, is this whole kind of like alpha male wolf pack thing, you know, and, and the ascent of one's masculinity mm. and the descent of another's and, and Walt, Walt kind of thinking like, Hey, I'm a big deal. And, you know, shortly before this, Hank has Hank always kind of like politely or slightly snidely puts him down like, Oh, yeah. you know, you, you're just this nerd, you know, yeah. you wouldn't know anything about, about the tough parts of life. Yeah. You know, Walt says, I, I might know more than you think. And, and so I, I think there is this dimension where, you know, there's this sub theme in the show to this point where Hank is sometimes viewed by others as the man of the family, the man of both houses. Mm -hmm. And Hank is aware of this and Hank does his best in some ways to try and tamp down on it. So it doesn't get out of control. Like, like when uh, Walter Jr. calls Hank in, uh, Walter Jr. is arrested by by an off-duty cop because he's been trying to asking him to buy liquor for him and his friends. And then Walter Jr. calls Hank in. And one of the first things Hank says is like, you know, this this is a messed up thing that you did. And and Walter Jr. says, like, oh, you know, it's just buying trying to do a little drinking. You must have done it yourself. And then Hank says, No, man, what was messed up was you calling me instead of your dad. And I really paid attention to that comment from Hank. It was so significant because that's not the only time that Hank acts on his own to try and say, you should be going to your dad instead of me. You know, there, there, yeah. there's also the time when, you know, that Marie thinks that Walter Jr. is smoking weed and she pulls Hank into it. And Hank is like, no, it should be his dad that's doing this stuff. So I think Hank is aware of this looming background dynamic that everybody in the family treats him as the man of the house. And Hank Hank is doing his best to keep that dynamic under control. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really good. These are good points. Did you see the Ross Duthat article long time ago? After I think it was after, like, right after the end of Breaking Bad, where he basically says Hank is the hero of the show. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't disagree. And that is one of the things that I'm watching the show uh, with in mind. You know, viewing viewing Hank's side of the story. You know. It's it's a telling of the story where you don't see it from the hero's perspective, and the hero loses. In yeah, that. it's the same thing with Saul. I mean, we see it from Jimmy's perspective, but then we see that we watch it again, and we see the points from uh, you know his brother um, and and Howard. Right? We figure this out in real time while watching it. Uh, but like, and it was probably easier to figure out than it because uh, you know Jimmy is sort of more obviously guilty than uh, uh, Walt is. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. So like Walt, so it's like, yeah. And, and so like Walter, I mean, let's, I want to talk about yeah, that, that first season, because that's just what struck me the first season, just how much of it is him. It's like all driven, you know, by him, not wanting to be pitied, not wanting charity. Um, and like, yeah, even willing to die rather than having to put up with that. And like, you know, you ask like, you know, like to me, I wonder like, you know, should they have just let him not not get treated? Like he maybe he was just right. They pushed him into this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I thought that was a pretty compelling part of the show. Actually, the whole intervention where they go back and 
fourth in it. And this is one of the things where I benefited from the rewatch because I saw it with mostly fresh eyes, uh, that intervention. And I started out the intervention thinking, oh, yeah, you know, Skyler is right. Walter Jr. is right. The guy should clearly get the treatment. But then as it progressed, my mind changed. And it started to change, actually, when Marie spoke up. Marie was the interesting turning point in that conversation because it was set up dramatically so that the momentum was going in favor of encouraging Walt to get the the treatment. And the viewer, I think, was in favor of it. And then Marie is the turning point when she she tries to go along with that and she reverses course. She does a 180 in the middle of her speech and she says, you know what, you know, I deal with these cancer patients all the time and, you know, it's a tough life for them, and in some ways, it's not living for some of them uh, when when they get the treatment, and it makes them sick and just drags them out sick yeah. for years. And the momentum totally shifted after Marie did that. And then when Walt finally spoke and sealed it, I actually kind of personally changed my mind by the end of that, and I said, you know what? I can see why somebody in that situation wouldn't get the treatment. Uh, and so that that was actually kind of moving for me. Yeah. When I watched that scene and I realized how many families I must have that exact conversation. Yeah. And then knowing what happened subsequently, it just conf- like, so like, you know, he has a few years and they're all spent selling, you know, like they, you know, they, they, people, you know, you said Marie, they say they don't live. I mean, the irony is Walt lives like his sort of best years, his most exciting years of his life. How long does this, this show last? It, it, it's not years. It's not that long. How, Breaking I think it may be a couple years. Yeah, I think it's like I remember we we talked about solid. We looked this up. Uh, how many years is the? It's it's between two thousand eight and two thousand ten. So it's like yeah, it's like two years, right? So he has so all he lives is these two years where he's just constantly, you know, he like is responsible for all these deaths, like Hank and and uh, yeah and Gobi, uh, and so like all these people die because of him, and you know Jesse has all you know all his problems, right? Um, and so like instead of like yeah, so like you know if he did it like a normal person. Um, if he didn't do all this stuff, he would have just had like a few years of like being sick and like putting his family in debt and then not, or being pitied, like, which is like worse for him and just, you know, not putting him in debt, but like taking all that money from, uh, Gretchen and the other guy. Um, uh, but then like what he did, he did another option. He took another path, which was like more consistent with like his, you know, anti pity character. And like that was obviously awful for, uh, many people, um, you know, for everyone in his life. Uh, and so like, yeah, like maybe the lesson is like, you know, we overtreat, um, people <laughs> with cancer and, you know, would have been, this whole thing could have been avoided if he just, you know, stuck to his initial instinct. You know, where I was left kind of in, in that debate, do they get the treatment or, or, or not in that situation? I, I was left thinking it's, it's actually a tough decision. And so it's very subjective and depends a lot you know, on what the particular patient values. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, think that's I mean, where the show kind of wanted to leave the viewer. And that, that was where, what I was left thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your, like if you, you could have said, well, of course the obvious answer is you should have took Gretchen and uh, what's the other guy's name, Gretchen and uh, Lloyd. Elliot. Elliot. Yes. He should have taken, just taken Gretchen and Elliot's money. Um, well, no, speaking of Gretchen, yeah, and so that could be another perspective. Like, he should, this is just toxic masculinity. Another one is like, masculinity is good, and he should have just died. He should have just, he should have just let him die, right? And like, so there's, yeah, there's different perspective based on your value. But yeah, going back and watching it and knowing what happened subsequently is very interesting. Another thing that's interesting. Do you remember, 
Here, here's just a factual question. Do you remember what his prognosis was at the beginning uh, if he didn't get any treatment? Well, it, it was fairly low, right? He was expected to live for like half a year, maybe a year at most. I remember, yeah, I remember it was, uh, it was just, uh, I don't know exactly, but yeah, it was pretty bad. It was supposed to be very bad. Um, and then nothing, you know, nothing became, it doesn't, it doesn't become more optimistic until uh, he has that big scene with the remission and then the surgery, right? So yeah, it was, it was just all pessimistic. You, you have the impression that he didn't have much time. Yeah, so so I think that the, the the default was he was expected to live maybe half a year with no treatment, and and then the combination of the chemo and the surgery basically extended it to a couple of years. Yeah, so the treatment like worked, right? You, you know, I mean, it gave him something, right? At the expense of you know all the other things, either giving up his pride um, and you know getting money for Gretchen and Elliot, or becoming a you know drug dealer who is responsible for all these people's deaths around him. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the, yeah, that's the question of sort of the value thing. But speaking of Gretchen and Elliot, I, I, I the dinner with, or the lunch or whatever it was, the meal with uh, uh, Gretchen was interesting because like, I remember like I, I, we, you know, talk about seeing it from Walt's perspective. Like my recollection was like, it was unambiguous that they had screwed him somehow. But then when you watch him argue with Gretchen, that's not her impression of what happened. Uh, I don't remember exactly what she says, but like, you know, he wanted out or, or something like that. So like you look ah. back and maybe like they didn't really, he wasn't really screwed. He was like just a, you know, disagreeable guy who, uh, you know, just like has this victim mentality. And I, I don't remember exactly what Gretchen said, but it, yeah, it was the impression that it was like much more ambiguous than uh, like Walt. What, what she said was, what she said was, you left me. Uh, ah. and, and so th- this gets to, I think, a really important sub theme in the show. Ah. Uh, and it gets back to the theme of how Walt ultimately has screwed himself over uh, and blamed it on other people. And so the backstory here was that Walt and Gretchen and Elliot were working together, setting up this company, Gray Matter. Walt and Gretchen were dating at the time. And then Gretchen was a rich girl. Walt was a poor guy. And Walt always felt inferior. He felt like he was lower in status. And so basically... They were on some vacation somewhere, I think, and Walt just left her. He, he broke up with her and just left. I Wait, think that was the whole explanation. They said all that during the dinner. Well, she she referenced it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know how much of this comes out later, but but that th- that was her bringing it up when she says that they're reaching an acrimonious point in the conversation where he's talking about how she and Elliot screwed him over with gray matter, and she's like, "You left me." And so what happened was Walt started it by leaving Gretchen very abruptly ending their relationship because he was insecure about her family being richer than him and him thinking that he wasn't, he wasn't high enough in status for her. And so it was his, it was his insecurity and pride that made him just leave her, even though they, they would like, I get the impression they were in love with each other. And then I think that him abruptly leaving Gretchen like that, I think that's the catalyst in some way for him leaving gray matter and her getting together with Elliot and gray matter taking off. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I think the show is trying to tell us that the truth of the matter is that Walt's character flaw was was the root of the problem of him leaving gray matter and and ending up a high school teacher as Gretchen and Elliot become wealthy. Yeah. I think that's what the show is telling us here. Yes. That is so yeah, that is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Walt's flaw. Yeah, I remember just like remembered originally like he is so like he was the victim and seeing it from his perspective but we you know that's clearly not 
like obviously true um, and probably not true. And, well, you know, there's this, there's this funny line. Uh, here's a slight spoiler to get to the very end of the show. I remember this line in one of the, I think maybe the last season where Walt is talking about gray matter to somebody. Uh, and he says, I check gray matter stock every day. <laughs> and so th- th- this is a, this is, you know, a big motivation for him. This is a big part of his story. And, you know, he's thinking I'm a high school teacher and he checks gray matter stock every day. And it just, all he can do is place every time gray matter stock grows up, he resents Gretchen and Elliot more. But the show is telling us that Walt was the one who was really at fault here. It was his insecurity that caused the problem. Yeah. How does he become a high school? Like, why does he become a high school teacher anyway? Like, it's a very strange profession to go into. He's like got this, he's like this tech entrepreneur guy, right? Uh, he's got a, I don't know, has he got a PhD? I don't know. He's got some background in chemistry. Oh, yeah. And, and so yeah, why, he's got why, a PhD and he's got a PhD. I mean, he, he like, he participated in, participated in Nobel Prize winning research. That's one of the very first things the, the camera shows something us. Else. Like, well, they're so poor because he's a high school teacher. Like, first of all, I don't know what the requirements are. I think sometimes you have to get a degree of education, probably depending on the state or whatever. And he didn't have that. So maybe, you know, put that aside. Uh, but like, why does he do that? Which is not very well paying and he's ambitious. So maybe, you know, is this just sort of, is this just sort of the, uh, the scar of like the, you know, the whole gray matter thing? It's a good question. You know, yeah, the show the show explains to us why he left Gray Matter, but I don't think it really does that much to explain to us why he ended up a high school teacher. Why didn't why wasn't he a college professor as, as some of the guests at Elliot's party assume? I don't think the show really does anything to tell us why high school teaching was what he ended up with. I mean, all we can do is speculate and assume that it was something in his character that led to that. Because he has the resume and he has the ability to be at least a college professor or, or you know, join, join industry, join some other con- uh, company. So it's not – given the facts that we know, it's still not clear why he was a high school teacher. Yeah, it's very strange. And like how he met Skyler, like, you know, I'd, I'd want to know that story too. Um yeah, I mean, he's got this, you know, like there, there was one flashback scene, I think, later. Well, we, we do know how he met Skylar, right? They, they tell us that uh, at, at one of the parties that they recount, mm-hmm. they, uh, Skylar and him recount the story. Uh, at Hank's prompting, maybe, Walt tells the story of how he met Skylar while she was a waitress and they were both doing crossword puzzles. He saw her doing the crossword, so then he started doing them, and then he used that as a smooth opportunity to start talking to her. Yeah, and, and and then it's this reminiscing. It's Walt fom- fondly reminiscing of how they met over the crosswords and how he orchestrated it that leads Skylar to break down because at this point, at this point, they haven't told anybody else that he has cancer. So th- it's, it's that reminiscing that, that makes her break down, and then that's what leads to them spilling the beans to the rest of the family, basically. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So, like, what does that say, Walt? Yeah, he seems that seems like, a, but it, it was sort of like the uh, uh, the like the the story was told in a way where he was like sort of afraid to talk to her for a while, right? He was just doing this sort of like he was shy, right? So he's not he's not Alpha Walt. It, so like there's this, there's a, uh, a a flash a flashback scene might have been season one uh, where they go back and he's like at gray and he, he's back at Gray Matter or whatever he's with Gretchen as they're young and he is like he's a different guy. 
So he's like, you know, he's like very like excited about chemistry, uh, but he's also like charming and sort of on his feet. And so like, it, it seems like maybe the, the gray matter thing changed him. So he was like, all of a sudden, so, so maybe this solves another thing, which is how he goes from this beta personality to this like alpha personality. Maybe it was always in him. He was like here with like in the gray matter thing, like the gray matter thing crushes him. He's here, becomes a high school teacher, scared to talk to Skylar, finally goes out, gets the cancer back. And like, you know, his sort of, his sort of, you know, the, 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 the beast within like comes back out. Right. Well, you know, when it comes to the Skylar thing, actually, you know, when when Walt told that story, Hank was impressed, and Hank made another one of those subtle put downs, like, "Man, didn't know you had it in you." No, but it, but you it, know, but like, it, wow, it, didn't didn't know you you were such a smooth operator. Yeah, but it, but it, but it's 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 sort of a um, you're right, but it's it's sort of a it's it's a calculated thing rather than like a uh, you know it it is sort of the way a shy guy would build it up right like you know a guy with a little bit more assertiveness might have would have probably tried to ask you for a number like pretty early instead of doing the crossword puzzles every and so of course hank is gonna say you know yeah good job like you know of course he's gonna say that uh you know be rude to say anything else um but that strikes me as the kind of story like a guy who's a little bit more shy and unsure of himself like given that he met a woman right given that he went about a woman like we know he like that seems to be to be one of the like the least sort of aggressive ways to do it I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting question. I, I could see how different people could disagree on that. I, I I think my impression was that the show was trying to show us a couple things there. Like it seemed to me like the show and Hank were thinking that these were kind of assertive moves from Walt on the whole, and that that, that it was subtle and well done Walt because they see him as like such a like uh, such a square and such like a soft spoken guy that like anything like seems assertive, right? And, and, you know, to, to me, you know, to the question of how alpha is, is Walt's behavior here, it's kind of a funny way to put it. But I, I think it's fair because I think your diagnosis is right that the show is thinking in terms of alpha males and all that and some of the things that it's doing. Uh, so in that framework, I guess one question is, I'm trying to remember, is it Walt who approaches Skyler over the crossword or is it Skyler who approaches Walt? And if I remember right, I believe that the way it happens is that at some point Walt goes to Skyler and is like, hey, could you help me figure out this part of the crossword? And so I, I think that matters to this analysis, that yeah. it's part of Walt's dastardly plan that that he's lay all this groundwork and then he go to her no, and use that ground, as his opening move. Groundwork and having a plan is sort of, I'm not going to say alpha or beta in this case, case, because whatever gets the woman is, you know, works pragmatic, you know, pragmatic, uh, pragmatics, right? Um, but it, it, like, if you have like a assertive versus non-assertive scale, help me with this crossword puzzle. Um, it seems to me to be towards the less, I mean, just think, list all the ways you could possibly meet a woman, right? Just shouting out her on the street and like getting her number or like seeing her the first time and asking her for her number, right? Um, like method, uh, like planning method, uh, in a methodical way and like doing all these crossword puzzles. Anyways, it's, 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 we're spending a lot. We're spending, well, we're you know, more. another thing that I think the show was trying to demonstrate to us with all that was it was kind of an innocent preview of Walt's elaborate planning capabilities. <laughs> you know, basically his crossword plan to, to get Skyler. It was the same kind of man who applies that to, to, to building a drug empire and the various plans to execute that. Yeah, he does like... He was showing us the seeds of, of the drug lord and his, his schemes. Yeah, he does like plans. I want to yeah, know how Hank met Marie. I bet Hank just went up to her and was just like very aggressive. Oh, yeah, that, that story is probably like simple. 
You know, yeah. it probably happened at a bar or, yeah. you know, a frat party or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's like, a, that's the a distinction, right? It's like, it's like, yeah, Hank is more on the more assertive, uh, sort of end of the, end of the spectrum. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's all interesting. So it, you know, it is. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's a lot with Walt and his family. Uh, anything like about Jesse, like Jesse's pretty, there's not a lot that's new or striking about Jesse. Some, some plots, like you see at the end, he sort of loses his mind because, uh, combo and then Jane, Right. And this sort of bonds him and Walt. I, you know, I was sort of a little bit confused how him and Walt became bonded. Although it was, they were bonded at that point because like they had almost died like two or three times together. Right. They were in Mexico with Tuco. Uh, they had that thing with crazy eight at the beginning and that other guy, Emilio. And then they had that other time they got stuck in the, uh, uh, in the, uh, you know, in the, um, in the desert. And so like all the same, like they, you know, they had like several near, near death experiences, Right. Um, yeah. and, and so like, you could see how they're really bonded, uh, that, but I don't know. Is there anything else you saw that was interesting about Jesse? I mean, look, I think that there's probably a lot that we could say about Jesse and I'm actually, I find it a little striking that, you know, we've gone this far into our conversation and Jesse like hadn't even really come up yet. And Jesse is kind of the second protagonist uh-huh. of breaking bad. You know, I think Jesse's a great character. So it kind of speaks to the richness of the show that there, there was all this stuff worth talking about, and we hadn't even gotten to one of the most important characters, who I think is a great character. Uh, and, you know, the, to start with, there, there's just this one funny little moment in Jesse's portrayal that shows a different a- couple aspects of Jesse that, that I thought of, well, you were talking about something that Walt and Jesse did. Uh, there was this moment that was kind of classic Jesse when the two of them are out on this, like, cooking binging trip because Walt thinks he's about to die. And so he's like, Jesse, the, the methylamine expires. We got to use it all up. And, although that's a lie. Mm. And so they're out there and the batteries run out and it was Jesse's fault. Uh, and then there's this great kind of soliloquy from Jesse when they've yeah. given up hope and they've exhausted all their options. Yeah. Like they blew up the generator even. And Jesse is just musing and he's like, yeah, Walt, you, Mr. White, use some like use some of your chemistry, right? You could like make make a robot or something, or like a, a battery, or like make a dune buggy. We, yeah. we could just like dune buggy our way. And he trails off like he's saying he's saying such ridiculous things. Like we could dune buggy our way out of it, mm-hmm. dune buggy our way out of here. And I absolutely loved that line because it was a like a classic Jesse Stoner line. And then and then Walt is like, stop. That's it. Uh, and, and then, and then Jesse's like, yes, yes, Mr. White, we make a robot. Yeah. And Walt is like, no, a battery. <laughs> we make a battery. Uh, yeah. And to me that, that whole scene, it, it was great. And it kind of showed the duality of Jesse in a way where in part the scene overtly was saying Jesse's in some ways a total idiot at the same time as it showed us Jesse being a total idiot talking about making a robot and a dude and buggy he actually did stumble across the idea that ended up saving them. It was Jesse's idea to make a battery. Yeah. Yeah. The way these like sort of stoners and morons like see science is like magic is sort of funny. Like when Tuco like beats his friend to death and brings him back, he's like, you're smart. Just do something like, you know, he could just bring him back to life. Like he has this idea that like science is just <laughs> so, so amazing. And, you know, just you have a smart guy. He could just bring back people back to life. Uh, you know, when they get, when he beats them up. Yeah. So look, let, let's talk for a while about 
the relationship between Walt and Jesse and, and various questions about how they view each other or what they feel like. There's a couple things that come up here, but l- let's start with, with this one. Uh, do you think Walt respects Jesse? Uh, he has affection for him, but no, he doesn't respect him. No. So here's, here's one question. Why, why does Walt keep working with Jesse? Well, like Gus- even, even at this point in the show, I think two seasons in, into the show, uh, we have Walt just meeting Gus and we have Walt doing his first huge drug deal with Gus. And so we're already at the point where it's no longer clear professionally why Walt needs oh, Jesse now, at all. Now that, now and he's still working yeah. with him. Now they're now they're now they're close. Now he cares about him. That's clear by then in season two. But Gus asks him, uh, you know, when Gus, you know, he has his first meeting with Gus, and you know, Gus is like, you know, he's not responsible. Like, why do you keep him around? And then Walt answers, because he does what I say. And I think that's I think that's the sort of the relationship. It's very weird. I noticed that uh, Jesse calls him Mr. White, like even until now, I think like pretty late in the game, like it was like, you know, like to the end of season two, he's still calling him Mr. White. Right. Um, and so like Walter just has this sort of aura, like this sort of control over Jesse, you know, he's like, he's sort of the alpha in the relationship. And so Jesse, you know, he has affection for him. Uh, he wants to look out for him. Like he doesn't want him to kill himself with all the drug money. Um, and, but then, uh, but then also he's useful because he feels like he can manipulate and control him. And get him to do stuff, right? Remember the other scene with Jesse when they're stuck in the uh, in the desert. He's like, oh, I should have just gone to the museum. Like he's like crying because you know he can't get the car to start. Um, and like, yeah, there is a, a kind of thing where like Jesse is trying to, you know, it's like Jesse, like you know, Jesse wants to stop at several points, and Walt just keeps wants to keep going. Um, and so, like, you know, it's sort of it's sort of a sad thing because, well, you know, Jesse's like Jesse's not as ambitious as Walt. He doesn't he doesn't have like cancer payments to pay for or anything, and he just wants to stop. He makes a little bit of money. He's happy. Um, they could have done a very limited thing, and Jesse would have been Jesse would have been fine. Uh, but it's Walt always pushing more. You know, he goes, he gets his friend combo killed, um, and uh, that that combo killing gets him back, gets Jesse to get back on the drugs, which gets Jane on the drugs, which leads to you know all of that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just see them as sort of like, you know, he has affection for him, but also he needs him and uses him and can control, control him. And that's sort of the tragedy of the relationship. You know, there, those are aspects of their relationship. Uh, I think I see something different from you in, in Walt's attitude toward Jesse. Like if I had to sum it up, you know, what's an unanswered reason why Walt keeps Jesse around when he doesn't have to. I think Walt likes teaching Jesse. Uh That's how they started. And I I think that that's basically what actually happens throughout the show. And by the end of it, Jesse is able to cook meth. That's like 99.9% as good as the meth that Walt is making. In fact, I'd have to go back and see the very end of it. But I think the very end of the show hints to us that Jesse's project is actually just as good as Walt's ever was. And so Jesse, Jesse Uh, learns it. Uh, So I think part of my answer to the question of, does Walt respect Jesse? How does Walt view Jesse? I think Walt, it's fundamental to him that he likes teaching people and he likes teaching Jesse and Jesse likes learning from him. And I think the show lays some seeds even very early on where Jesse hasn't made much of his life, but Jesse has some actual potential. Jesse has some actual talent and Walt has always seen that in him. Uh, You know, one of the very first things that shows us 
you know, it shows us Jesse going back to his home and looking through his old papers and he sees like an F that he received from Walt on something. And what Walt writes on there is apply yourself. And then there's another scene. I think it's where Hank is visiting Jesse's mom to, to try and find out where Walt has gone. And Jesse's mom makes some offhand comment about how Walt was, was always trying to, always trying to bring the ability out of her son. Like he always saw something in Jesse and I think he wasn't able to tap into that when Jesse was his high school student. But I think, I think that part of what's going on in their relationship is that Walt has always seen untapped ability and untapped potential in Jesse. And through the course of the show, I think he's trying to bring it out. I think he's trying to teach Jesse. And I think he succeeds in some ways. Yeah, that's, that's right. You're right. I, I, I like that. At the same time, like, up until now, like, you know, we'll see what happens later, but he still needs, like, he needs him just for the, uh, uh, you know, for the RV, right? He doesn't have that. Like, there's a lot of things that he needs a partner. He needs somebody to go, like, when he's with Skylar, he needs somebody to go buy supplies. So he does still need a partner. He can't do it all uh, on his own, even up to this point. Now, when he knows. At the now, beginning, at now, the beginning, he certainly partner, needed, he buy, needed he buy, a partner. He can buy an RV now. Um. Uh, yeah, he can buy an RV now. He can. I, I think that with with him having done this first deal with Gus, we are now we're we're firmly in the territory where it's not clear professionally what Jesse is bringing to the table at all. You know, yeah, Walt can cook yeah. perfectly fine. Gus can distribute perfectly fine, and so we're we're now basically about to enter the part of the show where that becomes a big part of the plot. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, I what's Jesse really, doing yeah. there professionally? And so this will answer the question. This will answer the question because I'm not sure there might be there might be a good explanation of why he's necessary um, at the start of season three. I don't know. Um, there might be. Um, I can't think of it, but you know, it's possible. You know, um, at, at this point, I think I think you're right that at this point, the affection has developed between Walt and Jesse enough that that Walt Walt just kind of wants him to do well. There's actually a point I forget who Walt is talking to. I think maybe it's when Walt is talking to Jane's dad. They're at a bar. Walt yeah. is t- talking to Jane's dad. They're talking about kids. Uh, Jane's dad is talking about, you know, the problems with his kid. And then Walt starts talking about Jesse's drug problem and he frames him. I think that Walt may at first be about to call Jesse his son. Then I think he quickly adjusts and calls Jesse like uh, a, a nephew or something like that. But, uh, but I think that it was tr- clearly trying to show that in some ways, actually, I think there's this kind of subtle tension between Walter Jr. and Jesse and who's kind of the real son, the Walt, you know, who, 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 who is, does Walt view as his real, his real son. And I, I think in some ways it's, yeah. it's Jesse really that he has those attitudes towards those feelings toward mm-hmm. not Walter Jr. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, his, he does seem to, you know, like Walter Jr. It doesn't come up in the show, but like much, but like Walter Jr. is like handicapped. Um, he's sort of sensitive. Like I, you know, I think that Walt sort of for a guy who sort of respects like strength. You know, it might not. Yeah. You know, it might be hard for him to fully respect um, Flynn or you know Walt Jr. Um, yeah. And so Jesse, you know, even being a criminal, even though he has contempt for criminal, like the, the fact that he has some, you know, guts. Uh, and some kind of sort of vigor, like might be like more appealing uh, to Walt. Maybe. Yeah, you know, Jesse, th- th- there is this theme where, you know, Jesse has 
in various ways, he, he has he has more in him than, than other people see. You know, there's his ability well, to make meth. Jesus too, there's right? also like Jesse's ability to commit violence. Yeah. You know, the, the, Jesse is the one that actually basically took down Tuco. Jesse's the one that pumped him full of lead. Uh, they have this nice d- dynamic built up for several episodes where Tuco, you know, he beats down Jesse hard their first meeting. Yeah. And after that, Tuco was always intimidating Jesse with that memory every time they meet. And then in their final in their final fight, basically Jesse Jesse owns him. Jesse basically he gut shots him, uh, and 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 Jesse comes out on the better end of that. And, and there's a moment after that where they're trying to figure out. Hank is trying to figure out who actually shot that first bullet into, into Tuco, and he doesn't even consider Jesse. He rules Jesse out. He's like, "No, nah, I know it's not you. There's no way, no way in the hell you could have shot a guy." And so that that's another aspect of where it's showing us first it's showing us how Hank kind of belittles and underestimates guys that meet don't meet his ideal of masculinity uh, and it's also showing us another way in which Jesse is capable of more he, he has more kind of in him than other people see yeah yeah and Gus sees this too because Gus later like he takes Jesse under his wing and, you know, I remember this scene very clearly. Jesse goes, um, this is a while later. She's like, well, you know, why are you helping me or something like that? Do you remember this? When he says that to Gus? Yeah. Jesse says, it. so, you know, Jesse, you, you, your memory might be so, yeah, yeah. But Jesse, like, turns against Walt and towards Gus. You remember that, right? You know, this is one of those things where I remember that it happened. I'm going to need to rediscover exactly happened, how, yeah, yeah. But how it one, happened. There's one, and there's one line where Jesse's like, you know, why are you helping me or why are you doing this or something like that? And Gus just goes, I like to think that I see something in people, right? Um, so it's right. It's uh, what you're saying is right there. So Gus and Walt, who sort of are, you know, are sort of similar in, in like just having the competence and the nose nonsense and, uh, you know, being emotionally secure and able to handle pressure. They sort of have that, um, in common and, you know, able to play the straight man role and to be, you know, a, an effective criminal, right? You know, Gus is probably the closest, uh, person to, to Walt. Um, but yeah, but Gus also That's what we're meant thing, to right? believe by this point, at least. You don't believe it. You don't believe it later. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, yeah, well, I mean, look, by, by the end of it, you know, things do fall apart for Walt and his criminal empire, and they fall apart fairly, fairly quickly uh, because of the ways in which he's different from Gus, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, Walt, yeah. Walt, Walt has the intellect of Gus, but he's actually not, you know, he, he's not the, the careful operator. He's not the businessman that yeah. Gus is. And, and that's why things do fall apart yeah. for Walt once he's replaced Gus and he's on his own as the yeah, as, there's a, as the there's king. There's a scene coming later, which is like uh, where uh, 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 Walter is with Mike, and they're meeting some uh, drug dealers. And then uh, Walt like gives them the drugs, and he's like, "You know who I am?" He says to the drug dealers, "He's like, say my name." And Mike is just like shaking his head, like, "What's the?" And then the guy goes, "Yeah, yeah, Berg, right?" And he's just like, "Yeah, he's like, yeah." He has these sort of, yeah, displays of domination. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he has this. You know, by the way, be, be, before I forget this, you know, the, the, there are a couple of memes that the the, the fans like to toss back and forth and actually you got at one of them with an earlier comment you made you were, you basically the meme is this is the moment when Walt truly became Heisenberg something like that and you actually gave us your theory of, of that uh when you said the moment Walt truly became Heisenberg was he, when he was meeting with Tuco 
and and he like you know tosses down the I forget what it's called. Yeah. Uh, but but the 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 stuff that's a bomb basically. And according to you, that is the moment then Walt became Heisenberg. Is that right? I mean, he became. Yeah, I think that's the watershed because there's nothing. Everything else, like okay, he chokes that kid to death in the basement. I mean, but that kid's trying to kill him, right? Um, the, you know, there is, the, you know, this is like innovation plus courage plus you know a physical risk, like that he initiated rather than getting rolled over. Yeah, I think it was like it was really a watershed that, that changed things. Yeah, you know, I think maybe part of the part of the meme and part of the joke is maybe there is, you know, the whole point is there is, is no single moment when he truly became Heisenberg. They're just yeah. moments of varying significance, and that certainly is one of the earlier and most significant moments. Yeah, like when this is the moment Trump became president, like this meme where it's just like Trump doing like crazy things, and it's like this is the moment, you know, it's, it's something like that. Oh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's just a thing. It's one of the things the fans fans like to do. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not quite yeah. sure what the joke. I, I think maybe the, the heart of the joke is that there is no single moment when he truly became Heisenberg. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the crazy eight, crazy eight one, you know, out of these significant moments when he became Heisenberg, uh, I think the, the killing of crazy eight may be one of them. The so, of, yeah, the killing of, but he, he, he didn't want to, he was going to let him go. And then crazy eight was going to stab him. And that was like self-defense. I, I don't think that that one is that impressive. Uh, the, yeah, you may be right about that one. Maybe, maybe that killing is is not a moment when Walt became Heisenberg, uh, because it, that one was. It's like a slippery slope. Pretty right? justified. Yeah, it's that like, one was pretty like, justified. Yeah, it's like you start by killing in self defense. Well, he kills that other guy. The other, you know, his part Crazy Eight's partner Emilio by locking. He thinks he kills Crazy Eight, and then he has to kill Crazy Eight with his uh, bare yeah. hands. Or is Emilio Crazy Eight or the same guy? Pretty pure, pretty pure self defense. I think in both of those cases. Yes. And so like, yeah, I guess that's the slippery slope, right? He starts by killing, but in self-defense. Uh, he, oh, how about when he, uh, he tells Jesse to go, this was, I mean, this was pretty shocking when Jesse gets robbed by Splooge or uh, Sneaky Pete. And then like, yeah, this was something because this is, uh, oh no, this is after, this is after the Tuco thing. Okay. Yeah. The Tuco thing. Right, right. Was, it it right, is Splooge. Right. And then he hands him yeah. the gun or something and he like handle it. Yeah, so I think that yeah, I do think the Tuco thing. Yeah, I think that's a really, really big deal. Um, there was an interesting moment. I mean, certainly when he when he hands the hands the gun over and says handle it, you know, I think the implication was pretty clear. Uh, and there there was an interesting moment. I forget what prompts it when Walt is having a good day or something, and then he calls Jesse up yeah. and is like, you know what, that thing I said earlier about handling it, I take that back. It's fine. It's cool. Yeah. But you know, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, you see Jesse. So I, I think the handle it, handle it, that is one of the moments when Walt became Heisenberg. Yeah. And that scenario, I mean, just shows you, like, they're consistently showing you that Jesse's a good guy. Like, with that kid, like, he tells the kid, you know, he gets taken in. Like, he, Splooge and, uh, they, they're able to tie him up. Splooge and Splooge's wife or girlfriend are able to, because Jesse's trying to calm down the kid and playing with the kid. And then when Splooge's head gets splurred, he tells the kid, don't go inside. He doesn't want him to see it and be traumatized. He ends up, like, doing, like, he yells at the woman to, like, you know, feed him some real food. So he, he's like, he's like very, like, in this life or death moment he's spending so much time and mental energy on like caring about this kid um which i think is just like you're supposed to be like really really touched about like what a good guy jesse is yeah you know here's a question i don't quite remember what was jesse's downfall 
in that scene? You know, Jesse's got them dead to rights. What oh, is yeah, what is the decision exactly. or the he was, moment? He was talking to the kid. He was playing peekaboo or telling him to go back to his room or something like that. And that was his downfall. And they got him from behind. Okay, so so it's so we're meant to think that basically it's Jesse's compassion that was his downfall in that. Scene. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm ninety percent sure that's right. That, that's interesting, and and you know this this speaks to one of the larger questions about the show, like who's a good person in the show, and not just here, but in Better Call Saul too. You know, in this universe, how many good people are there? And I think that we're meant to believe that Jesse is a genuinely good person. That's why he's not meant for that life. And that's why he, he leaves the life. That's why he doesn't succeed ultimately in that life. Yeah. I think that like, you, and, and you know, Walt is the one part of the tragedy is that Walt is the one we've seen by now who drags him deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So I think that like, we talked about like better call. We've talked about this before the breaking bad universe, like shows like most people being good. Most of the times, like even institutions, good. The healthcare thing was like interesting because we talked about like, you know, the, the guy who beats, uh, Jimmy McGill, Jimmy in the bar laid on who tells him, you know, the stock market is not that bad. And you know, the people are just trying to, you know, do the right thing and all this other stuff. And even the, um, the, like when he can't afford healthcare, like, you know, 90% of liberal like directors would have had some kind of message like what kind of system you know makes a man pay for his own surgery <laughs> and treatment and there was there's nobody who's ever like oh man if only we lived in there's no like scene of like oh maybe we should flee to canada <laughs> or like go to go to you know, the uk or like a civilized country where they have free health care right there's none of that stuff in there you know it's, it's funny that you mention it because i actually have seen this take out there on like socialist twitter or something yeah there's this take going around about how breaking bad is really a show about the evils of capitalism <laughs> and, and about how about how the capitalist healthcare system is what drives a man to create a, a, a criminal drug empire but you know I, that take is totally wrong uh taking no stand on on capitalism but the take is just objectively wrong because they're missing something important when they see that the show is telling us Walt wasn't driven to this. He had so many options and yes. so many people who were willing to give him perfectly good help. Yeah, capitalism start, is such a wealthy society that like he actually could pay for it with charity. Right? It's like sort of like, like if anything, hey, you know, it's the yeah. capitalist success of, of gray matter that, yeah. that makes it so Walt Walt is perfectly right. like perfectly free like, to have a great answer yeah. here. It's like they mock like Tea Party types, like, oh, private charity can't cover like everything. Well, like in this show, it's like, no, it, it actually can. <laughs> like everyone around, like there's enough generous people out there for even without gray matter. Like, I don't know, like you, you get the feeling that like somebody would have had money, like they would have been able to scrape it together uh, somehow. Well, you know, to, to the question of whether there's any kind of indictment in the system. So in the particular case of Walt, he has a perfectly great answer in the system, but but that great answer does come from his, you know, multi-millionaire friends who feel like they owe him one. Uh, so there is maybe an open question of, okay, what would it look like, you know, if, if Walt didn't have Gretchen and Elliot, what would have happened? Well, there's still, there's still help he turned down from Hank and Marie. It's not yeah. clear how sufficient that help would have been. There's still, you know, the fundraising from Wal Walter Jr.'s site, but it's not clear if that would have led to anything on its own. Yeah. So, so maybe you could kind of scrap some alternate history critique of capitalism out of it because not everybody has Gretchen and Elliot out there. Yeah. But it's also, but also the, the treatment itself doesn't do all that. It doesn't buy him that much time. Right. Um, it's like, it, you know, it only, you know, he does all these surgeries and he's, 
you know, he's, he's pretty robust for someone who's dying of cancer, like throughout the whole thing. Um, but yeah, he, the, you know, the, like what he, it doesn't, it can't save his life anyway. Right. He, he, he's, it's two years, the entire, the entire show. And so you're spending a lot of money for, um, not that much. Yeah, time. It, it was like, you know, the, the price tag on, on that surgery, you know, it was like a couple hundred thousand bucks. You know, it, it is kind of funny looking back on it, how the doctors are like, yeah, I totally recommend this surgery. This is totally the way to go. By the way, it's going to be a couple hundred thousand, you know, no, no biggie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just have to take the totality of the Breaking Bad universe. And for reasons we've talked about before, and people should go back and listen to those shows. It's a very sort of conservative show, especially it's portrayal of law enforcement, just like how little corruption in the legal system, just how little corruption um, like it finds and how little indictment there is of the American system, I think is, you know, quite, you know, quite striking. You know, and, I've actually, over the last five minutes, I have talked myself into thinking that there is a little bit of a critique of capitalism in the healthcare system in the show. Uh, it, it's true in Walt's case that, that he'd be perfectly fine just relying on private charity. But the show does kind of build up to us the financial troubles and how ridiculous it is to expect somebody in his situation to meet them. He just happens to get lucky in that he is totally able to meet them without turning to crime. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, we, we, we just talked about how maybe they are, maybe it wasn't cost justified to, for even him to get treatment, right? It, it, we're not, it, that's not even clear that he should have gotten treatment well cost justified right so so there we there we get back to the you know i look i don't think vince gilligan's a socialist uh but i do think that maybe this is in some ways this is maybe the least uh the least conservative leaning part of these this universe i've seen so far i do think that there is some kind of critique of the healthcare system and its cost and and the impossible burdens that it just asks these families to to take up i mean it, it's it's weird it's weird how the doctors are like, we totally recommend this. It's only going to be 200K. I guess if you inherently do it in like two weeks, if you inherently think that's weird, you know, I guess you could see it that way. To me, you know, prices are, you know, things have to be cost justified. Like, you know, there might be something that could be worth, you know, that could be worth it for a rich person and not worth it for a poor person, right? If you have two, if you have a billion dollars to your names, maybe it's worth, you know, you, you'll spend 200,000 on a surgery. If 200,000 is your entire inheritance that you're going to leave to your family, like to me, that it like makes sense to make a decision on that basis. And that's not, you know, unjust once yeah, you've you accepted know, we, we, we've got this, got this saying in, in philosophy. I used, I used to be a philosopher. We got this mm-hmm. saying, you know, one man's modus ponens is another's modus tollens. I think you and the socialists would look at the same situation, like, and you're saying, yeah, it's reasonable for a rich person to take the surgery. It's unreasonable for a poor person to take the surgery. And you say that that's fine. That's just the way it is. And the same, the socialist looks at the same set of facts and they say, you know, that's a, that's an indictment of the system. Things shouldn't be that way where it's reasonable or not reasonable to prolong your life, depending on, you know, whether you're a, a millionaire or not. Yeah, but the so, but the social, but it's not in the. Sh- I mean, it's not in the show. Nobody talks about how unjust it is. So the socialist argument is sort of it's circular. It's like it's just showing you what happens under a capitalist system, and then they're saying that's bad. And and so you have to assume that like I'm saying, if you start by accepting capital, if you start by accepting wealth differences, you you know the logical conclusion of that is like okay, it's good, you know, it's a fine if a rich person can afford a surgery, but a poor person can't. Right. The socialist sort of has to, you know, so there's like a straight line from like what I think Vince Gilligan, who's not a socialist, we agree. Right. I think they need to assume that he's a socialist or that he's like a capitalist, but like 
maybe it's like it, it is sort of a iffy or soft capitalist in these extreme situations, but you have to, you sort of need to assume it. It seems to me like it, you need to be circular to have, it needs to be circular logic to have that interpretation. You know, sometimes a show and a showmaker, they have the freedom to just raise questions and not, and not give their stance on something where if they gave their own stance, then suddenly they're, they're, you know, they're in the arena and they're subject to critique. But I do think, I do think that from what I have seen so far, that it is a part of the show that it's trying to show us how very costly it is for him to get the treatment he needs to prolong his life. And it's trying to show us how impossible it is for somebody in his situation to, to, to meet those financial but, burdens. But, but, but I, it's conspicuous by its absence. So remember in that scene in, in Better Call Saul, where there was like that black guy in court and like a Kim was defending, but she didn't bring up like systemic racism or anything like that. He was just like a black guy who happened to be unlucky because the cop didn't like him or he wasn't profiled. And it was so conspicuous by its absence, like the race wasn't brought into the criminal justice system. And I think you disagreed. And to me, it's like the fact that like nobody ever says, what a system where I have, there's no, there's no like idea that like, this is just, you know, Hank or like uh, Marie or like Skylar or like Walt doesn't have a word against capitalism. And this was like, and this is not like nobody have, like we're not like it in the middle ages where like nobody ever thought of socialist socialized medicine before. Like it's a talking point, like on the American left of like how bad the country is, you know, because it doesn't have socialized medicine. The fact that that's not there, it's like putting a black guy in a court and talking about the cops being out to get him and not bringing up, bringing up race. It's like so conspicuous because it's just, it's just like, so you would expect it to be there. The fact that it's not actually tells you something. Well, let me just ask you this. Do you agree that setting aside Gretchen and Elliot, do you, do you agree that the show is kind of choosing all these small moments to emphasize to us just how great the cost of all these treatments are and how difficult it would be for a normal person to meet them? In fact, nearly impossible. Yeah, I, it does emphasize that it's very, very hard. Right. Yeah. And so I guess the question from just there is just like, why is the show doing that? Why is the show trying to make us appreciate well, how, sorry, how impossible pretty, it would be for, for a regular person in a situation to do that. For the plot. It's not like a, a superfluous thing that's just put in there. It's clearly necessary. I mean, without it, the, you don't have the show. It's, it's the entire show. But maybe that's the point. Maybe maybe there is a critique of capital. So I, I guess, you know, it is a story where, given the constraint that he's prideful and totally rejecting this charity, which would perfectly solve his problem, given that constraint, then he just becomes a regular guy, and then then capitalism really does drive him to deal drugs if he wants to prolong his life. Yeah. Wait, say that again? I'm sorry. I missed I missed it. So given the constraint, if, if you set aside the issue that he's got a perfectly great answer, he can get as much money as he needs from his rich friends, set that aside, and then we are left with where a show where under the system, if he wants to survive, he's got to deal drugs, got to make meth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, we agree. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. I wanted to, um, what about the, um, uh, so I'm just, maybe it's on my mind because I saw it most recently, uh, the relationship with Jesse and, uh, Jane, um, Jane was there for like, I, I, you know, she wasn't there for long. I was expecting sort of more, uh, Jane, um, just a longer time period and more, character development but she comes there you know they're not in a relationship for that long and then you know she croaks um and uh you know uh walt walt lets it happen 
Uh, I remember what I remember at the time when he let it happen. That's I the would, moment when he truly became Heisenberg. <laughs> when he let her die. But he let, no, that's the, yeah, that's passive. He, well, it's fun. it's a great scene because he has like he has like a tear, but like he like he has a look of relief. It, look, it seems to be like relief at the end. He's like, oh, like yes, like this woman is gonna. Man, and and you remember that moment where she's not even looking at him for most of that, and then at the very end, like. A half second before she dies, she makes eye contact with him. No, I don't think she was. I thought she died at that point, and she. I think you just open your eyes when you die, don't you? I think she was. I thought she was dead. Uh, I'm pretty sure you could take another look at it, but I'm pretty sure that it was a, a point of emphasis that in her last conscious moments, her eyes turned to and focused on Walt, and it was eye to eye. I guess if you're if you're choking on your puke, you probably would open your eye before you die. You wouldn't keep your eyes closed the whole time. Uh, until- I, 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 I'm not an expert on how that proceeds. I would assume. I would assume that would jolt you from your sleep, no matter how, uh, you know. But it's too late. But I assume that it would be. It would jolt you from your sleep at some point. You're right. I think you're right. And she does. This is this is just a deliberate artistic choice. Like I, I noticed it when it happened. It definitely happened. She consciously saw him and see. He saw her see him. Let her die in her final moments. It, you know, yeah. I mean, first of all, like with that thing, there's so many coincidences, like the fact that he runs it. So James dad is an in, sort of interesting character because like one of these things that the breaking bad universe does, it's just like normal, well-meaning, meaning people being normal, well-meaning people. Right. Um, and so that's like, you know, his dad, the dad is just like the normie guy. Um, and uh, there's like so many coincidences, like the fact that Walt, first of all, runs into him um, at the bar Right. And that he's the one who inspired. They never, he never finds out that that's Jane is his daughter. So he goes, so he watches Jane die after talking to her dad. Um, but he never, he never knows. He never figures out that that's the guy. Uh, then the guy is an air traffic controller and he happens to cause a, you know, a, a crash where everything falls on Walt's, Walt's house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like a little bit, it's, it's, it's a little bit too much. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's actually a kind of a clever little writer's trick. You know, there are various ways where I think that on the whole, in some ways, Breaking Bad leaves the impression that it's a a realistic show somehow. Like, am I wrong about that? Breaking Bad somehow fools you into thinking that it has this kind of gritty realism to it. Until you think about it. We've just identified one of the ways in which it's it's terribly unrealistic. You know, there's all these coincidences. Uh, And I think that it uses this little writer's trick to slide these coincidences past us. And the particular trick it's using here is that there's this mystery that's the that's running throughout the season it it opens it showing us you know the the black and white the 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 scorched teddy bear floating in the pool and it gradually shows us more of the disaster and then it shows us it shows us the unfolding of the disaster and so in a in a way i think it it uses the trick of letting this the resolution of this mystery make us forgive or suspend yeah. our disbelief over the coincidences, the coincidences that enable the mystery. Here's the thing that I recall now. I'm not sure if I imagine this or this is real, but he might, what I just said that he doesn't find out it's him. He might see his face on the news later. Walt might see his face on the news and then maybe somehow figure out that his daughter just died and it was Jay. Like maybe he does actually figure that out. You know, it, it's possible, but I don't remember Walt ever finding out. Like as I think as far as I know, Walt just thinks, Plane crash, planes crashed. Man, that's weird. I live a crazy life. Yeah. Well, I I think so too. I, I don't know if I'm just like I'm imagining this memory, but now I have a memory. I'll, I'll see if it's actually real. And in, in, in a way, in a way, there's something there's something meaningful about that too. How there are consequences for Walt's actions and consequences for his life, 
and he there are sometimes when he can't even trace how those consequences are consequences yeah. of his actions. I, I thought I thought about that, but like, no, he doesn't uh, even know that that it, he never okay. even knows that it was yeah. him. But but I, but it was but it's uh, okay. Often it does show that, like the, when when he gets that that uh, that janitor when Walt because he steals you know, yeah. he gets that janitor fired and sent to jail. That's clearly uh, a foreseeable event from Walt's bad behavior. This one, okay, so Walt gives Jesse the money and then the girl like dies. Um, if Walt had never given him the money, he, he might've, they didn't buy those drugs. They had those drugs before. Like it would just, could have gotten money from like a rich uncle. Right. And he could have gotten it and he could, and then Jane could have died. Oh, deed. Right. It, it, it's yeah. and then like the dad could have been upset and then air traffic controller screwed everything up. It doesn't seem to me, it seems like it was more of a coincidence. It doesn't seem to me to be traceable to Walt's bad behavior. Well, no. So you're, I mean, look, there's multiple but four causes of, of like, a yeah, death, like right? And, and Walt, you're, you're right at the beginning of the causal chain. There's many ways in which this is the story of Jesse's responsibility for her death and her own responsibility for her death. There, there is one moment and inter- and where she, she makes the faithful death. choice. Yeah. She's walking to the door to not do drugs, and then she turns back, goes to his room, and does the drugs. And I think the scene is portrayed in a very faithful way where we, we're kind of meant to know this is going to be her doom. And so she is the one that ultimately has the greatest responsibility for her death, and that scene is showing us that the greatest responsibility lies with her. But Walt does have responsibility for her death and that he could have turned her over, could turned her on her side, and it previews toward us how she says to Jesse, oh, yeah, make sure first time they do it, she's like, make sure you, you're you on your side so you don't throw up and kill yourself. And I think it's Walt is responsible for her death because he could have just flipped her on her side. Mm. And, and, and so this yeah. is showing us the consequences of Walt's actions reaching back to his life in ways he never even knows. No, but that's that's too much sin of like, look, man, it's very literal. Like it's like it literally arrives in his backyard. There's like some saying even, there's some cliche, like it gets to your doorstep or it gets to your backyard. And the show couldn't be clearer in showing us that the consequences of Walt's actions in letting Jane die arrive at his doorstep in yeah. his backyard. Yeah, I think that that is a, I mean, um, like, I almost feel like him killing Jane was, you know, letting Jane die was almost self-defense. I mean, I really think Jane is very guilty here. I mean, she, you know, she was like blackmailing him. She, you know, she was endangering Jesse's life. Um, she was going to just, they were, he, he thought that she was going to kill Jesse. I mean, it was almost him or like, it was either Jesse or her. And also I think it's also like, you know, him or her too, because like she would eventually get arrested or something. And like, he couldn't trust her to keep her mouth. So like the fact that she now knew everything about him and was like threatened with it. I almost see it like, as like, so, but maybe that's that's also his fault for being a drug dealer and blah blah blah. Right? He he was in a bad situation. Well, it, it is an interesting question. Why exactly Walt lets Jane die? I'm not completely certain. Uh, I I think that oh, I think he mostly lets Jane die so because think he thinks that she's endangering Jesse's life. That that's my theory. I think she's endangering Jesse's life and endangering potentially him. I think there's there's every reason to let her die. You know, I, I think the, the path that things were on, I think we're meant to believe Jesse and Jane were going to go right off to New Zealand yeah, and live off the drug money. No, but even when, when he drops off the money, he's like, how do I know you're going to be quiet even after he gives the money? And she's like, you don't. 
and then slows it. He has he can't trust this. He doesn't know this. Really there, there, there is that. So, so you know, yeah. maybe he has mixed motivations. I think his greatest motivation is he, he's in father mode or uncle mode. I think it's father mode. And he's genuinely concerned for Jesse's life here. I don't know if that's And, and if he that's thinks right. that Jane is a threat to it. No, but I don't know if that's right because the trauma of losing Jane could just as easy. He might be better off getting sober with her than without her. It, it's not certain that she is. He brought, you know, it's not certain that he's more likely to OD with her than if she dies next to him. I don't know. He doesn't have time to think about all this problem. Uh, I, I think that, <laughs> I think. Various of Jane's actions make Walt believe that she is a terrible influence yeah. on Jesse, you might be right. and yeah. and and that it's really his concern for Jesse that that mostly lets him let Jane die. I think it's more. I think it's probably more selfish because the look of relief. On, because if he's really concerned with Jesse, it's a much more complicated issue. You could see it either way. Um, the emotional trauma of him losing her. You know, you you don't know like what's going to happen to Jesse, but mm. for him, unquestionably, for Walt himself. Like it's good for her to be dead, like unquestionably. Now uh, we're gonna agree to disagree on that. So look, before I forget, did you notice in the in the scene where Jane's dad lets the plane crash? Did you notice the particular moment that broke him? I re- I remember him just saying a bunch of numbers like two six seven seven. No, no, well, no. Was there? there was a, there was an elegance to it because uh-huh. it's it the way the way that. Sometimes to avoid confusing like B with C, they say Bob, Bob, Charlie or whatever. And there was a moment where he was using a word instead of the letter J and the word happened to be Jane. Ah, beautiful. And it, like he was holding uh, it together like a champ until that moment. Uh, and that that's his whole thing. Like it was setting up for us like, man, this guy's really buttoned up. He's going, he's he's picking out her, her funeral dress. He's, 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 he's really got it together somehow. But he, it turned out he was just bottle, bottling it up. He was he was repressing it basically, and it all broke through the dam the moment he said Jane uh, to, to in, in place of the letter J, and, and that was when he lost. Oh, that it. is elegant. That is cool. I, I missed that. The uh, uh, you know it's, it seems that air traffic control system is pretty isn't very robust if. One guy, you know, big, you know, like, you know, if, the, if, if there was that easy to cause plane crashes, I would have think there'd be there'd be a lot more. Um, you know, yeah, this we're is, gonna have to get somebody on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just yeah, they, the 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 coincidences here are too much. You know, what reminds me the bigger the big coincidence was a uh, when um, I always like to go back. How did these like characters happen to meet each other, right? And so like uh, like Tuco and um, wait a minute, no, that that's not that crazy you know, he meets tuco but yeah yeah so he uh, the fact you know the fact that tuco is it's her grandma is the one that hits those scammers and that's how he ends up meeting uh jimmy right and better call saul it's like tuco's grandma hits those like losers who are trying to do the slip and fall uh, and then he meets mm. tuco but then walt also independently meets tuco right and maybe they're all criminal maybe it's a small world Right, all criminals in Albuquerque. I guess it's not, a, and the criminal lawyer, the lawyer who deals with the criminals. I mean, but but the, but the but the, no, the 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 crash, like the person who happened to crash into being Tuco's grandma. Uh, that one I thought was like probably one of the craziest coincidences. Oh man, I didn't even remember that. I still no, don't it, remember it, it, it even like though season, you. It was like season up. one of Better Call Saul. So uh, Jimmy meets these. Uh, uh, you remember these losers, and he's trying to see. This is how you do a real slip and fall. They're trying yeah, yeah. to like, throw themselves in front of cars. You don't you don't remember this? Ah, vaguely. Look, yeah. you know, it's kind of a superpower having the memory of a goldfish. I, I really get a lot of value no, out of rewatching the, these shows. You remember the season of Better Call Saul, or these two seasons of Breaking Bad, but anyways, the person who hits them 
I remember this very well because it's the first like life or death scenario in Better Call Saul. Right. That's why it sticks out for me. Uh, so the person who hits them is this old woman. They chase her to her house. And then Jimmy knocks on the door and it's Tuco. It's, it happens to be Tuco. It's Tuco's grandma. Anyways, people can go back. There are a lot of coincidental meetings in this show. Like they happen to occupy a very small universe, a very small world. Everybody bumps into everybody else. Uh, and, and oftentimes for reasons that, that aren't motivated by the plot thus far. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it is kind of interesting, like the, the the show is like hoodwinked us into thinking that 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 it obeys like the physical laws of the universe. Everything is perfectly motivated by everything that preceded it. It uses all these clever little writer's tricks to give that the viewer that impression. What is the um yeah, right. Yeah. Uh yeah, Albuquerque is a small city, five hundred thousand people. Uh there's uh still Still, the criminal world is even smaller than that. Still, uh, yeah. What do you think about anything you notice about seeing uh, seeing Saul in the uh, you know in those early seasons? Hmm, it's a good question. You know, I think that when he was introduced, you know, he was meant to be a, a minor character, quickly in and out. I mean, do you? Th- no, I don't think so. I don't think that was because the whole episode was called Better Call Saul, and then he's there in a few more episodes. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't supposed to be as big as he turned out, but you know, they had they they devoted a. He was their connection to the drug world. He was going to be. I mean, he was going to be part of it no matter what. Yeah, it, I'm trying to form a, a an opinion a, a, a about Saul. What, what has struck me? Look, what, since I don't want to have have one at the tip of my tongue, what, what do you think? Uh, what, what were your impressions of Saul's portrayal? You know, I went back and I watched better the Better Call Saul episode. So I, I had seen this more recently, back when we were watching Saul, uh, the the show Better Call Saul. Um, and you know, this character is remarkably—I mean, the, the the universe they spun with Better Call Saul, the spinoff, and the uh, and integrating it with the character himself—it just works. I mean, there wasn't like anything I was looking at, like. This is not believable given where we left Saul, like when he split up with, you know, when he, when he left Better Call Saul show and like, you know, uh, you know, moved into the Breaking Bad universe. There was nothing there that I was like, oh, this is not the guy, uh, I recognize. He's, he's the same guy. I mean, he's, he's Jimmy fully grown into the criminal lawyer. He's not completely at this point even completely irredeemable. He becomes even more irredeemable in those gray scenes when he's at Cinnabon after Better Call Saul. I think that like the worst thing was when we talked about this before with that guy, with that guy with cancer and he goes and he's like so intent on robbing that guy with cancer. He just wants to get like so badly. Like he's not even, he's not at that point yet. That happens after Breaking Bad. Right. Um, And so, yeah, he's remarkably what I expected. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I think I disagree a little with you on the timeline there. I, I think the, the black and white scenes at the end of better call Saul, I think that happens before the Jimmy, uh, before the Saul that we see here in breaking bad. I think we're seeing him fully formed as who he is. No, right no, now. no, you're completely wrong. No, he, he goes on the run. That's why he's working at Cinnabon. He goes on the run at the end of breaking bad. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally, uh, uh, like I said, poor memory. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Um, so he, he does fall lower. Yes. Uh, I would say, you know, I think that the way they've introduced him so far, he seems kind of like a caricature. They just, they were just like, let's have a slick talking lawyer, slick talking criminal, criminal defense attorney in the show. And, they, and then they just tried to do the best possible 
version of that caricature. I, I don't think he has much depth at this point in the show, and I don't think he was intended to at this point. Uh, I don't know, like, intention. Like, I, I would need, like evidence from like what the producers say because i don't see why you would assume that he had an entire episode called better call Saul. that's what he was introduced he had an entire episode named after him um that's an indication he was going to be a big deal uh they probably like you know he he was uh he was a very they put a lot of effort into like coming up with the character when you go into his office it's very like it's funny you have all these like sort of junky looking burnout people and like it's playing like patriotic music and it's just like you know the you have your constitutional rights it's like a very like you know sort of yeah. grotesque but really like funny character it seems like they put a lot of effort into it um, they had that big episode which was just named for him uh, i don't know why you think you would think he wasn't always supposed to be sort of a big deal uh, well look to tell you the truth this is just some half remembered scrap of outside show knowledge from the producers that i that i vaguely remember that they said that Saul wasn't intended to to be a permanent fixture on the show, hey, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Okay. Uh, but but it's anyway, what, what do you think about about his portrayal? Here's a question: Do you think the the Saul we've seen so far is a good lawyer? Um, is he a good lawyer? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I for he seems overqualified for a criminal defense attorney. He seems to be have like subject matter. He seems to be good for, you know, a couple of reasons. I mean, he's specialized. He's got, you know, a special, he's, he understands sort of his clientele and he does, you know, he's sort of, he's ethically, he's able to not get in trouble. You know, he does get in trouble sometimes, but he seems like he seems to have been good better at like not getting in trouble. And, you know, when he got in trouble, actually, the time he had his legal license suspended uh, in Better Call Saul was when he was trying to actually help someone. He was trying to help Kim. Right, and he screwed over uh, Chuck with all those doc- all that document stuff, right? Um, and so he seems to like he seems to know how to go. He seems to like know how to go to like the edge of the uh, uh, ethical boundaries, and like he doesn't have those qualms. And like, yeah, I think he's he is a good lawyer. I guess here's something that that surprises me in retrospect after having seen all of Better Call Saul, uh, and now seeing the very first introduction of Saul. From what I can remember. Even as he does bad stuff and all these scams in Better Call Saul, one of the things that defines Jimmy and Saul is that he's at least always a good lawyer and that he fights hard for his client and he yeah. cares about his, his client. There's at least that part of his, his quality as a lawyer. And that is not so evident in, in our first introduction to him in Breaking Bad. I mean, very first time we see him, he walks in and he's like, Oh, Brandon Mayhew, you're the masturbator, right? And he doesn't even know which client he's dealing with and what they're accused of. And not only that, far worse. Uh, Badger is his client, but he quickly recommends to Walton Jesse that he kill him. Yeah, and yeah. this is this is not what I remember of, of him, even through all of Better Call Saul. I think that through Better Call Saul, it was kind of one of the things he always held on to, that he at least fought for his clients. But But I don't see that here. Yeah, no, there's generally, you're right. There's obviously a moral degradation. Um, well, does that make him a bad lawyer? I think he's a good lawyer in the sense that, like, he's efficient at it. Like, he's max, he's not maximizing 
having, you know, he, he's, he's not optimizing to have a few clients he fights a lot for. He has obviously a sort of assembly line system where he's just trying to get as many people in as fast as possible and get them out. So like he's spending like two seconds per criminal. He's probably giving them good yeah. um, service for that two seconds or whatever, just because he's got so much experience and he's got skill at this. He's built on his reputation. You know, he's, 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 he's sort of really like hustling in a capitalist way, right? He's the, the there's word of mouth of these criminals think he's good now maybe they're morons uh but they do seem to like they do seem to take him and think it's worthwhile to bring together the money and pay him whatever he costs rather than just relying on the uh you know the public defender uh oh, so- oh, yeah. he's certainly a skilled lawyer at this point mm-hmm. in the show it's certainly showing us that he's a, a quite skilled lawyer I, i'm just kind of struck at it like juxtaposing better call Saul with breaking bad where I'm, am I right about this? Am I right in remembering that even at the very end of Better Call Saul, he he always tried to tried to you know defend his client, and yeah, that's not what he's doing they're, here. They're classifying this as being a bad lawyer versus being a good lawyer, where it's just like he's morally a worse person now, and he doesn't. Yeah, care. well, I, I had a you know I, I had a kind of a particular meaning of good lawyer, like you know officer of the court, not just skill. I, by good lawyer, I didn't just mean skilled lawyer. I mean, like a good at doing what a lawyer is supposed to do. I think he delivers, uh, like defend his client. You mean defend his client, but not ethically. You're not talking ethically. You're not. Well, like I think we, I think we've talked about this back in our Better Call Saul podcast. It was one of the four principles that Jimmy always held on to through his degradation that he at least uh, tried tried to defend his client. I think that that yeah. was consistent throughout that whole show. I can't remember a time when no, he when he backstabbed his clients. He, or, he's still or you know, didn't didn't fight for them. Yeah, he's still defending his clients, but um, in a world where he has many more clients and his t- there's much more demand on his time because he's maximizing, you know, his income rather than uh, you know helping people. Yes, like there's a spectrum. Like every lawyer, like every lawyer could just have like focus on one client and give them the best representation possible, or you could have a million clients and give them, you know, one second each. And everyone has to have like a spectrum of like where they are. So to me, he's like, he's gone to the spectrum of like a few clients, but you know, and it comes to a point where like, you're really losing something, but it seems to me that like, he's at the end of the spectrum where he has a lot of clients, but he's still doing a decent enough job that it's not like he's, you know, they're getting ineffective counsel or something like he's it's still doing a decent enough job. Yeah. Um, I was thinking kind of the, the moment when he was like, why don't you just kill Badger? You know, that that's something that I don't think he would have done through better call Saul. He was afraid they were going to kill him, but you're right. He was sort of a little bit, he, yeah, he did. He did keep bringing up better. Even when he was out of danger, he did bring up, I think killing Badger again. Um, uh, you're right. Yeah. He'll, he'll kill us. Yeah. He'll kill. Yeah. I mean, you know, he sees his, he, he, you know, he's defending a different kind of, now he's a criminal defense lawyer, right? Before he was helping these old ladies, um, you know, not get their savings stolen. And so there's a difference there where he like, you know, he just sort of sees them as criminal scum and, you know, whatever he's, he's, he's not, he, not, not like Kim when Kim used to volunteer to help the criminal defendants. I don't think Jimmy has that sort of, uh, uh, you know, sympathy, uh, with the criminals. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're right, but he's, he's, he's morally degraded, but he's also, he's just dealing like if Saul at this point has to defend some innocent old lady, if he somehow finds himself in that position, does he say like, Oh, just kill her. I, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think it's different. I think even at this point, he's not that bad. So here's a line about Saul's characterization that, that I think some, some people ha- have noted. 
early on, uh, his secretary, uh, Francesca, I think, is leaving the office and he's like, you're killing me with that booty. You remember, yeah. you remember that? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that, that that is consistent with with Better Call Saul? Like, is that is that what mm. what he he would say it, it, at the end of Better Call Saul? Uh, sure. Yeah. Why? I mean, why not? He would he would flirt with a woman. Why? Why wouldn't he hit on a secretary? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, he does. He says it to himself. He says to her, "Let me follow you home." You know, for safety. And we see him like sleeping. You know, in the in the Better Call Saul near the end, we do see him uh, in that garish mansion, and he's sleeping with either prostitutes or some women. Um, and so, sure, why not? I mean, why why do you think that's so? Uh, you know, I, I guess I was thinking. I, I was thinking that maybe you know, maybe it was the stuff with Kim where where he wouldn't be thinking about that. But you know, you you may be right. You may be right. I guess, I guess my impression of that line then is is that it's just like they were thinking we want a sleazy lawyer, you know. Let, let's make him sleazy along a new dimension here. Yeah, I mean Francesca is yeah Francesca is like fat and old. <laughs> She's not really the most you know most appealing. Yeah, that, that's actually kind of an interesting part of it. You know, they could have they couldn't. Have, I mean, that was like her first time in the show. They could have easily had him do the same thing. You're killing me with that booty, and done it with an objectively attractive woman. Yeah, and so it's kind of meaningful that they do it with with a woman where you know most people wouldn't think that. Yeah, or it might be that he's not. Um... Like you, maybe you take it as tongue in cheek. Like it's not even like it's a flirt where like they play this game where he like pretends to be interested in her and she's like, go away. But he's like really not even interested. It's like his way almost of charming her by flattering her that like I would hit on you and always like be going, you know, crazy over you. And she's just like, and she sort of gets that he's not and she's sort of like pushing him away. Like, do you think like maybe? You know, it's not even serious. I know at the, I know he says you're killing me with that booty. He says it to himself. She's gone, but I, I think he's just sort of, he's still like the joke is still going on in his head. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess looking back on it in light of Better Call Saul, uh, you know, there is, you know, Better Call Saul is a gigantic retcon, right? Like uh, yeah. they're, they're, you know, it was not the plan at the time that they made these scenes in Breaking Bad, yeah. and so I, I think that with that line. The, the origination when you're killing me with that booty was written and, and said it was just like, yep, here's a new way. He's a sleazy lawyer. And I think that in, in the new continuity, I think that we're supposed to view that in a different light as him embracing the Saul character wholeheartedly in every way he can to get, to get more distance from being Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. I I think you I think you're right. It is a retcon as you say, but it, it's a, it's a, just a it's just a very good ret. I mean, it's a very good retcon. There were so many ways this could have gone badly. Um but I don't know. We'll see we'll see what happened with Saul as as time goes on. I mean, he does seem to like Jimmy, like he's trustworthy enough. Where like now we're like near the end of season two, uh, where uh, uh, Jesse's at the retreat. Uh, or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Walt is like, don't worry. Like, you know, no matter what he, I'm going to for my surgery, whatever happens, Saul will take care of you. So like he trusts Saul. Maybe it's just a reputational thing. Like it's, you know, there's not a morality to it. He just is a lawyer and like, he's a criminal lawyer and he needs to be trusted by criminals. Um, but you know, there's no, there's no like, uh, fear that like, he's going to run off with, uh, Jesse's money. So they, you know, they, they, there's some reason they do trust him. Um, it's maybe just yeah. So Saul, Saul does does maintain a degree of professional ethics. 
yeah, in strange for the ways. Yeah, but, but that could be self-interest. I mean, that could be self. He he has to be. You know, the the only way to. Uh, you know, that's probably the only way for him to do. I these mean, things. look, I, I think that even in Breaking Bad, Saul does see himself as a lawyer. He does. Yes, and there is sort of a. Uh, yeah, you're right. He does see himself as a lawyer. Um, yeah, like it's and not maybe, just maybe, it's maybe, not just oh, pretending to be a lawyer is the best way for me to make money. No, he, he does think he's a lawyer. Does it he's matter? Internalized that Badger, it. Does it matter that Walt is paying for Badger? That it, maybe he see? I know a lawyer's at professional ethics, like by the book. You know, the the client is the client. Uh, but but is it could be that like Walt is the one paying him, so Badger's sort of like not even really his client. I don't know. Look, I, I think I guess what I think is that he's loosened his moral code as a lawyer. The the, the core part of it, where he defends the client, he's loosened it, but he he still maintains it to a degree. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I think you know we're we're brushing up on uh, almost uh, you know hour forty five minutes here. Um, you know, I could go on. This is so good, but you know, I probably have to go soon. Is there any? Um, yeah, anything else that like we should talk about that you that that you of note that that we've skipped over or we missed? No, I thought I think we got pretty thorough coverage of the major characters and topics. Yeah, let me think. Is there is there anything is there anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, Gus is there a little bit. Mike is there a little bit. There's no, nothing. Nothing's that crazy. Uh, you know that I noticed. Um, Okay. I would have thought he was working at the car wash by now, but the car wash, the guy with the big eyebrow, that's apparently coming later. You remember the guy with the big eyebrow, the what, the unibrow? Well, well, I mean, we, we've seen them. We saw them at the very beginning. What we oh, haven't he? seen yet is him buying the car wash to mon- launder money. Are you sure we've seen him? I thought we never saw him. I was oh, looking yeah, for Episode him. one. Episode one. Remember, like it shows us, oh, poor, poor. Poor Walt, you know. Oh, and then he, quits. he, he cracked then, down on wow. the student in class. Then the stu- then he's washing the student's fancy car, and the student and the girl are making fun of him. That kind of thing. Yeah, that was yeah. episode one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bad. Bad memory, man. Memory is just. We have bad. We have bad memories. Memory is so foul. Yeah, I, I guess what I got is a good midterm memory. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I remember literally like five or ten things in the show, and then every connective tissue between them and the subtleties get lost over time. I guess life is like this, right? And then you like remember big things that happens, and then you build a story, and it's not necessarily the the real story. But that's why it's yeah. you know valuable to go back. Yeah, it's valuable to go well, back. This and is definitely it. a show worthy of a rewatch. And I'm glad we're doing this because I've been kind of saving up the rewatch. You know, I knew like obviously I'm going to rewatch Breaking Bad. But I, I think I let it get to ten years so that I could make the rewatch a really good rewatch where I would forget as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. Great. And so, yeah, we'll do. Uh, how do you want to do it? You want to do three, four, and five, or you want to do three and four and then five? Uh, l- l- from here on out, let's just do it season by season. Okay. I will talk to you. Uh, yeah. Next time. See you, Chris. All right.